There's four basic riding positions that every adventure motorcyclist should know and practice because they're the foundation of all your riding skills. What they are, how to do them, and when are all things we're going to talk about on today's episode, including at one point we're going to enter the twilight zone. My name's Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. Well, you know, it's not even guesswork. It's a proven fact that you will get more miles from your chain by oiling it regularly. Here's what you got to look at. The MotoBreeze chain oiler. It's got no moving parts, got no electrical parts. It runs off of air pressure and it's got vacuum connections that take the oil down and deposit it onto a felt pad that goes directly onto your chain. An ounce of oil gets you a thousand miles or 1600 kilometers. MotoBreeze.com. There's two eyes in there. MotoBreeze.com. Max BMW Motorcycles, they've been doing it since 2002. That's Outfitting Adventure Riders. And they have got a load, I mean the full load of parts and accessories online that they can ship to your door. You order online. It's a great way to get your parts. MaxBMW.com. Get their e-rider newsletter. It's free. MaxBMW.com. That's M-A-X-B-M-W.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear, making American-made heavy-duty innovative luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using the strapping system. Um, Great systems. As a matter of fact, all the stuff they make is super tough. I've tried tons of it myself. The website, greenchiliadv.com. That's greenchiliadv.com. Best Rest Products is where the number one tire pump in the business for us motorcyclists comes from. It's called the Cycle Pump, made in the USA, has lifetime warranty. They also distribute the Google Tech filters for North America. The website, cyclepump.com. That's Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. Hi, I'm Sam Manning. I'm Phil. Ted Simon. Austin Ben. Rider Skills is an exclusive program we developed here at Adventure Rider Radio designed to give you the tools that can improve your riding skills both on and off the road. Now, of course, this segment is not meant to be a substitute for professional training. These are ideas and concepts that should you choose to try, you're doing so at your own risk. And in fact, we recommend getting professional training, learning some things here, and then taking that further with professional training. Now, just like building a house, unless you begin with a good, solid foundation, then everything you put on top of it is, well, a problem. And the same goes for riding skills. In fact, every instructor I've spoke with on this show have mentioned to me at some time or another about having to break experienced riders of their bad habits. And those bad habits come from maybe lack of knowledge, but often they come from not enough work on the basics, not enough theory and understanding why we do things, why things happen, and then the good old elbow grease that turns what you learn into muscle memory. So today we're talking about some basic skills for riding positions that are the foundation for adventure riders. Here with me is Clinton Smout. Just heard someone tried to text me or something. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. Now, in case you're new to our rider skills program, you don't know who Clinton is. Maybe Clinton, you should go ahead and Uh, talk about yourself. So Clinton Smout, I'm a professional rider trainer. We specialize in off-road rider training. And what I end up doing a lot of is adventure bikes where people have bought 
big motorcycles and they want to be able to enjoy it on gravel roads, maybe some light, easy forest. So that's what we specialize in. And my business is in Barrie, Ontario, about an hour north of Toronto. Mm, but you also have training, though. Yeah, I'm a certified instructor with BMW Germany, the Canada Safety Council, all kinds of accolades of over 30 years of teaching. 30 years? Yeah. 1983, I started a street rider training, and that was where I took a curriculum and passed and I'm still with the Canada Safety Council for anything that rides off-road with gasoline. I'm certified to train. Anything? With, any- yeah. So side-by-sides, ATV, snowmobile, dirt bikes. You must have been an instructor then somewhere around the time when I got my first license or somewhere in that time period anyway. Oh, right. Yeah. And that curriculum hasn't changed very much, but... Um, I got bored with doing the same thing. So I kind of invented different curriculums and expanded the lesson offerings into pro riders. And we did a maintenance course. Then we did graduated licensing. So that kept me interested rather than teach the same thing every week. Then I started an off-road course for the street rider training program in Toronto called Humber College. I would take 10 bikes up north, switch the tires and teach off-road and then put the tires back to street tires for the following weekend. So I did a lot of tire changing. Well, we're not talking rims. We're talking tires, like not a wheel change. A wheel change would be very nice, I'm sure. Yes. So when did, when did adventure motorcycling, was that the start of it? Uh, About 2005, six, we started getting a lot of calls from folks, mostly BMW, new BMW riders who bought a GS after watching Charlie and Ewan. Mm. And they would find out that we did dirt bike training and we kept getting more and more calls. So I thought they were nuts trying to take such a large motorcycle into the forest. I just didn't understand it. I didn't get it. Because I owned BMW street bikes, but I'd never had a GS. So I came up with a curriculum that would have them on a small dirt bike for the morning. Then after lunch, we would do gravel roads, light, easy trails with their big bike. And it was very successful. We were doing a couple hundred people a summer. And I would just be honest with them saying, you know, if you want to really get into this, you have to go back to your dealer and put crash guards on that bike and tires and maybe a headlight protector. And those boots you're wearing are great for touring, but they're no good for off-road. So I guess the dealers were very pleased locally (laughs) because sales went up, aftermarket sales. So they must have told head office. And we had two gentlemen show up for this adventure course that I'd created, half a day on a small bike, then your own big bike. And they had brand new BMWs, brand new BMW gear, helmets, even boots. I'd never seen BMW boots. And they were very competent riders. And at lunch, I said to them, you know, I almost feel bad taking your money. I don't think I've really taught you guys. And there was some smiles and they came clean and said, well, We're an executive at head office, and we heard about your school. We wanted to see it for ourselves. We want you to go to Germany and become a BMW instructor, which I'd never heard of a BMW instructor. (laughs) 
That's pretty sneaky. So they send them to your shop to uh, like in, in disguise, although not very good disguises to check out you and, and your school. Yeah, it's still, it all worked out well. And then when I came back, it was so funny because they said, well, what color of a bike do you want? A bike? Sorry. Well, we don't want you riding a Yamaha dirt bike training folks that are coming from our dealerships. So we're going to loan you a 1200 GS for the summer and then give it back to us. So I, the first year I got a red one, the second year a black one. And I would let customers ride it as long as they filled out the waiver. And then it was realized that if I had a couple more bikes, then more people would be exposed to their product. So we developed a partnership where now it's evolved over the 10 years, but now we have 10 brand new GSs every April. And through this partnership, customers can come and test ride them, train with them. As long as you're involved in our rider training school, you get to use them. Right now in the Northern Hemisphere, for most of us, you can't ride. And this is a type of thing you can actually go and practice in your garage or anywhere, really. I mean, you know, and preferably, I guess, in front of a mirror so you can see what you're doing here. But you can actually sort of set yourself up and do a little practice without going anywhere. Do you agree with that? Yeah, true enough. A center stand or side stand still works. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's look at, so we're talking riding positions, the positions that you're going to use on your motorcycle. What are the basic riding positions we're going to talk about? Well, I, maybe we can encapsulate it into four positions. The one that everybody obviously knows is sitting down, then obviously standing up. But we, we qualify that into what we call the attack or tiger position. And then there's a separate standing position for hard braking. Okay. So those four. Seated, standing, attack, braking. Yes. Okay. So I guess let's, we'll, we'll start with the, the seated one. Why don't we talk about these, these um, positions and where we would use them to begin with? And then we can get into afterwards um, what the, the correct way to, to get into that position is. That's a great idea. So seated is the one we're going to use the most. I mean, that's the one everybody's probably yeah. used to right off the bat. Yeah, seated is probably 95% of the time with an adventure bike. Then when it does get a little loose terrain, you want to stretch your legs, standing is advised. Once it gets ugly, maybe it's bumpy. You're going over small logs, rocks. You want to be standing, but with a crouched leg. So it's the attack position. And then lastly, there's a bracing position position for when you're doing aggressive deceleration in the standing position. So braking is the fourth one. Okay. Seated standing attack and braking. Now I, I get, now I, I'm trying to see like um, some sort of continuity or some sort of um, common thread through all these. Are, are we talking about like, are all these set up to keep ourselves balanced on the bike or keep our ourselves and the bike balanced? Is that what it's all about? Yeah. Balance is a big part of it, but also it's for preventing fatigue. If you're sitting or standing in the wrong way on your motorcycle, you're not going to get as long a day as you would like. A big part of adventure riding that I do is long distances every single day for, you know, a week or two weeks in succession. So especially with me, I'm 60 years old now. 
So I find I can't do 1,400 kilometers, almost 1,000 miles a day as easily as I did 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. So I have to ride properly to maintain energy and duration where I don't get too tired. Right. That makes a lot of sense because also, I mean, if you're, if you get fatigued, I mean, even just riding on the street and then you get yourself into a little dirt action and you're already tired while you're dusted right there. Absolutely. Fatigue is a big component in crashes, even at very, very slow speeds. Well, okay. So, I mean, the obvious one to start with would be seated. And and I think most people will think, well, seated, that's pretty obvious. You know, you sit down, but there's, there's more to it than just sitting on the seat. Yeah, there's some intricacies. What we train for a novice is the butt should be on the seat close enough to the front of the motorcycle that you can reach out with a bent arm and comfortably hold on to the grips. If your butt is too far back on the seat towards the rear of the motorcycle, then your arm is straight and that is not conducive for a balanced cornering technique or smooth riding. Now, some custom motorcycles love the look of your hands on the grip elevated higher than your eyes. And that's very fatiguing for blood circulation. Vibration is harder to withstand when your hands are up above. And it doesn't turn as well with your hands up high. So most adventure bike riders that would be listening don't have their bars way up above their ears Mm -hmm. because it it doesn't look good on an adventure bike. The thing is with, with all of these is um, it's, it's uh, the way I see it is like, it's all about being in a neutral position where you're able to do something. So in other words, you mentioned about the elbows being bent. And then later on, we're going to talk about our legs being bent. The reason for that is because the bike moves in all directions and you need to be able to compensate for that. You need some movement both fore and aft. So in other words, if you're, if you're sitting there and your elbows are locked, you can move the handlebars back towards you if the bike pivots up, but if it moves away from you, now it's jerking you forward. So, so is that what it's about? It's about being sort of in a neutral position where you do have the ability to maneuver or at least move yourself around or move with the bike? Exactly. And depending on your arms being straight or bent, it will either hinder or enhance your ability of your body to move off to one side of the motorcycle or the other. Mm. Straight arm, it's very hard to do that. So for the seated position, you, you pretty much, I guess you could start at the foot pegs and really move up as far as how you're connected with the bike, because that lower portion of the bike, that's a big part of our control, isn't it? Huge. And uh, that's where it starts to differ a little bit from just pavement riding. If you're sitting down on any kind of motorcycle on pavement, you can have your knees out away from the tank in the wind. Uh, maybe one hand on the bar, tightly holding onto the throttle, you'll still be able to go in a straight line. But once we get into the gravel, a little softer, more challenging traction, that type of knees out, wrong grip isn't going to help us. So we recommend if you're riding an adventure bike and you entertain the thought of going off road, it's best if you practice on the way to those trails or gravel very tight lower body to the bike. So squeeze the motorcycle with boots, legs, and knees. And then light grip on the bar. So loose upper body, tight lower body for seated position. 
So before we get into standing or changing from seated, a lot of adventure bike riders will change their bar position. So that's something that we do for the customer with their permission is we'll loosen the bars and roll them forward a little. So at a full lock left or right turn, the end of the grip on the handlebars is hitting the windshield almost. Um, most handlebars are not on the motorcycle when it arrives at the dealer in the crate. And there might even be little pin marks on the bar that is the suggested position for the technician to install the bars. That is for a seated position. And for adventure riding, when we're standing up a lot, we don't want the handlebar hitting our thigh. It's mm. got to be forward and that enhances the whole handling and body position on the bike. When you're setting that up, are you looking for the handles, for the handle grips to be flat? Um, what we do, because we're, imagine you're standing up right now with a bent elbow. Most mechanics will adjust the control assemblies, clutch and front brake, horizontal to the ground, parallel to the ground. Mm -hmm. What off-road riders often do in adventure riders, we'll loosen the control assemblies and tilt the clutch and brake levers down on an angle. So now there's a straight line from your elbow to your fingertips. If your elbow is up in the air because you're standing and you leave your control assemblies flat or horizontal with the ground, now there's an acute bend in your wrist. And that can be problematic when you hit logs or potholes and it fatigues the wrist and hand too much. So mm -hmm. we suggest changing that. So all our bikes are set up that way. And, and a lot of people will go with, um, with the handlebar risers. What do you think of that? Well, I'm not a big fan of them myself. It's extremely popular where people are doodadding out their bikes. I think money could be better spent unless you're extremely tall for the ergonomic setup of the bike, then bar risers are a necessity, sometimes even a peg-lowering kit. I have a friend, Dallas, who's six foot eight. He's a very hard time riding a bike set up for me. I'm six foot, although I'm shrinking. I think I'm 5'11 and a quarter now or something. But anyway, got to get bigger boots in. But bar risers, if you think of your hands up too high, it may seem comfortable when you're riding standing up, but for real adventure riding where you're going over logs, you're trying to help the suspension up a bank, there's no strength in your arms or upper body if your hands are up too high. That's why most professional adventure bike riders, Simon Pavey, Lawrence Hacking, people that race adventure bikes and ride them a lot off-road, will never put bar risers on. Hmm. You know, if you go to buy a bicycle, a good quality bicycle, the bicycle shop will, you know, measure you up and see what frame size that you have to get on. First of all, they get you the correct frame size. Then they're going to fit the bike to you and they're going to make sure all the controls are set up and everything. And it's really bizarre because, I mean, although some bikes are very expensive, they're not near as expensive in most cases, unless you're buying a high-end one, as an adventure bike. And yet, you, you rarely hear, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say they went into the dealer and the dealer said, oh, okay, well, let's get this bike set up for you. It's like, it's not even like a car where you can adjust the seat or tilt the steering column up and down. With a bike, you just get on it and it's supposed to fit you or are you supposed to fit to it? 
yeah, it works out great if the engineers design that bike and it happens to fit your body style, height, length of arm, etc., size mm-hmm. of boot. But as you say, Jim, not all of us. Uh, we have customers with size 15 boots. We have to move the levers around to accommodate them to make it safe and comfortable for them. So this is why we should understand that it, you should expect to change things around in your bike as far as adjustments goes. You should expect to rotate your handlebars to fit you, to move your levers to fit you and the, and the way that you ride. Yes, not only to fit your body style, but also the type of riding you want to do. If you're buying an R1250 GS in the spring just to go touring on paved roads, don't roll your handlebars for it. They're probably great the way it comes out of the dealership. But if you're doing some off-road and you want to stand up and make it more comfortable and safer, then I recommend they're rolled forward a little. Mm. And and just as far as levers go, a tip of the levers is um, not to do them up, not to cinch them up tight, um, to leave them so they will move if you bump them. I'm talking about if you're going to ride your bike off-road. Yes, that's an old dirt biker's trick where when I was a kid, We didn't hear of bark busters, which is that metal protection that loops around the front of your lever. So you learn pretty quickly that a lever, you know, it was $20 30 years ago. Now it can be $130 for a BMW lever. So we would loosen the control assembly. So as you say, when the bike falls over, rather than snapping the lever off, what you hope is it spins upward a little. Now, you don't want it so loose that it flops in the wind, but it will move when dropped. Uh, The best thing we recommend is a good set of bark busters, something with an aluminum band in it to protect it. Some bikes will come with just a plastic. A plastic bark buster. Well, it's not a bark buster, a plastic protector. Yeah, you know those little, they're just little foils in front of your hand. They don't provide much in the way of protection for the lever or your hand. And they break very readily. So we take those off and put on a really good set of bark busters. Now, before we go into standing for seated, um, there's variations there, isn't there? I mean, there are with all of these, uh, all of these positions. Can you talk about the variations of, of being seated? Yeah. Um, moving around will help reduce fatigue and pain that you ride day after day sitting down on most stock motorcycle seats you're not very comfortable by the end of the day you're squirming around maybe you're riding with one cheek off to one side just to alleviate it so there's a very good market for alternative seats customized seats or something that goes on top of your stock seat air hawks and gel pads and things like that just to separate the butt from the seat a little. Mm-hmm. So being able to move around is very important. I've never actually replaced a stock seat before. I always just put up with them, but I can definitely relate to the one cheek, the one cheek lean for yes. sure. Um, but um, and I've, I've just never bothered with it otherwise. I'm starting to feel a little bit more now, but we'll, we'll see how that goes in, in future years. But also what, when I was talking about the seating position, you can adjust that as well, even for braking and acceleration, those sorts of things while you're seated. Yes, exactly. So just if you are very loosely sitting on the seat, knees out in the wind, and you hammer the brakes on, you're going to slide forward. 
And that's something to think about with kind of the modern design of a motorcycle. A lot of them have a big tank in front of us that's a much higher elevation than the seat is, especially for the rider. Passenger seat's sometimes a little higher. That means internal organ injury in a bad crash. So even in a hard braking situation, we recommend really squeezing with the lower body, bracing yourself so you don't slide forward into the gas tank. So that's seated. Um, now standing, where do we use that? Well, obviously, once we get tired sitting down, I've seen a lot of adventure riders just on flat gravel roads, the Dempster Highway. I keep talking about the Yukon because it's fresh in my mind. I was just looking at pictures of it. And standing up will relieve pressure on the butt. Um, what happens with sore butt is lack of blood circulation. So getting your rear end off the seat up into the air really helps. So just for prevention of getting too sore, standing's great. But when the terrain gets more challenging, softer gravel, mud, sand, whatever you're in, Standing is way better, which we've discussed before. The center of gravity when you're sitting down is at the seat level. When you stand up, the weight transfer is to the foot peg and the center of gravity of the vehicle drops down. That makes it much easier to handle at slow speed when the terrain is challenging. When it comes to standing, because you did mention about riding in the Yukon on the dirt roads, and standing and sitting, there are some some legal considerations for standing now. Exactly. Well, in a 10-day period last August, I saw one RCMP officer in Dawson City who stopped and chatted to us about where we're going. I didn't see any on the roads. But where I live, an hour north of Toronto, it's pretty rare to ride five minutes without seeing an OPP officer. And I have met customers that told me they were charged with stunt riding for riding their motorcycle while standing up. So if you're on the road, just keep that in the back of your mind. If you're near an urban center and you get pulled over for standing up, you can't use the excuse that, you know, I was tired. I was just stretching my legs because in truth, you should have pulled over and walked it out or stopped for the day. Um, but that is a, a real concern for adventure riders, something to be aware of that the constabulary might charge you with something like stunt riding or reckless riding if you're standing up when they feel you shouldn't be. This is the lawmaker's approach to try and prevent the stunt riding problem. There's, you can see it on YouTube. There's lots of videos of people going down the road and doing wheelies, etc. Clearly, it shouldn't be done. And this is their way of trying to stop that. Unfortunately, um, that crossover from somebody doing a, a wheelie to show off or, or to mess around to someone standing up to stretch their legs or uh, balance their bike over some rough terrain, we get caught in the crosshairs of that um, legislation and those laws that are made. So it's something you have to consider and weigh up yourself. If you're riding down a, a paved road and you come to a dirt section where they've done construction, for instance, you may want to stand up. But as you mentioned, if a police officer was there and in your area, it, they have this law in place. Yeah, you could, you could be charged. And that it's a serious fine and it's serious charge. In Ontario, it's six demerit points. So that's going to 
quadruple your insurance the following year. It's an indictable offense, which means you've got to go to court and see a judge. And your motorcycle will be towed from that vicinity. So you've got to find a ride home. Hmm. It's the same charge for like racing and, and as you say, doing wheelies, very reckless maneuvers. So sadly, the net that legal enforcement throws over goofing off on a motorcycle might encompass the adventure rider standing. But um, I've talked to a bunch of police officers who ride. They would never give that ticket to someone who was just standing up, mm-hmm. not goofing around, just stretching their legs or riding a gravel road. But not all police officers are motorcycle savvy, and they may have seen some really negative aspects of standing. So be prepared. Mm-hmm. The, the real sad thing is, is that it's the safer way, it's the, it's the controlled way to ride through some sort of soft surface. So, um, in fact, you're riding correctly, yet these laws have been put in place to, to, that will stop you from doing it. So, it's very unfortunate. And boy, it does make you think about um, advocating for these sort of things for motorcyclists. And I guess that's where you join an organization, somebody who, who stands up for these um, or, stand, or opposes these type of things when they come into being uh, proposed to be brought into law. Right. Yeah. And I think the, the original purpose of the law was to prevent, as you say, the person who wants to catwalk down a freeway on one wheel, um, I think they should take their bike and sell them, mm-hmm. give the money to rider training schools. <laughs> but because you're not only are you putting you at risk, but you throw away that 500, 600 pound vehicle and it's cartwheeling through the air, you're putting a lot more people at risk. Yeah. So there's a time and place. I have two good buddies that I train with periodically. And they're probably the best stunt riders that I've ever met, maybe in the world. But it's Nick and Ernie, Team Empire. And these guys are sponsored by Triumph, and they do a lot of stunt riding in movies. They do a lot of shows all over the world. But they're the first people to say, don't do it on the street. Mm-hmm. You know, find a safe, controlled environment, not down the road. Okay, I just want to stop right here for a second because it's this conversation, this part of the conversation that often brings in emails from listeners saying, well, it's a, you're, you're saying it wrong. It's, it's a combined center of mass that you should be talking about. It's a center of gravity. It's the bike center of gravity. The point is, it doesn't matter. It's semantics. We know that by standing up on the motorcycle, it's easier to maneuver the motorcycle. There's a lot of things in play here. You're separating your mass from the motorcycle's mass, um, thereby reducing the amount of mass that you're moving back and forth. But just forget about all that. Get out there and try it on your bike. Stand up, sit down, and you see what it feels like yourself. All trainers agree that standing up makes it easier to maneuver the bike, and it is the position that you want to be in. So don't worry about how it was said or what terminology was said. Just understand the fact that standing up is easier to maneuver the bike, in particular when you get off-road. Yes, exactly. So you can put different weight on your left foot than your right, and that will steer the motorcycle to the left. So that has very minimal effect when you're sitting down. Unless you're road racing and hanging way off the bike, peg steering works there. But it really is enhanced by standing. And you can go over rough terrain, potholes, speed bumps. You don't want to go over some kind of obstacle with your butt on the seat. 
it's worse for the passenger in a teeter-totter effect. So the bounce is more pronounced at the back of the seat. When the suspension comes up and hits the passenger in the butt, that can really make the spine sore or actually hurt you. So standing up is fantastic for adventure riders. Hey, we're going to take a one-minute break here, thank a couple of sponsors to help bring this episode to you today. And when we come back, we're going to talk about some tips on standing. We've got a lot more tips coming up, and we're going to enter the Twilight Zone. Stay with us. Controlling your motorcycle is all about your contact points. And that's what we're talking about today, some of what we're talking about today. But when it comes to contact points, your foot pegs are the most important points. Buy a foot peg that is made for the way you want to ride, the performance you want. IMS Products has been making hard parts for motorcyclists since 1976. There's a lot to be learned over those 40 plus years, and they put it into the foot pegs they make for you and I. They've got a full range, everything from the ADV 1s and 2s right on down to their rallies and their smaller pegs. IMSproducts.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So I've never done this before, but I've made Pearly's Possum Socks the official sock for Adventure Rider Radio. It has nothing to do with the fact that they're paying to advertise on it. It has to do with the fact that I've actually fallen in love with these socks. They are the best cold weather sock I've ever tried. I've done outdoors activities since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, and I'm telling you, I have not tried a better sock. They're durable, they keep your feet warm, and they keep your feet cushioned as well. They're fairly thick socks. Get yourself a pair for riding in the cold. Pearly's Possum Socks.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly's Possum Socks.com. You're not going to be disappointed. So can you talk about the the correct way to stand, maybe starting from the pegs and, and going up? Yeah, we talk about two positions. When people come to us, and this is what people can do in their garage is leave it on the side stand or center stand. Stand up, almost straight leg, just a slight bend. Stick your butt backwards a bit. Hang on to the grips loosely and make sure you have a bend. To know you're in the right balanced position, stand up and let go of the bars. If you can balance by simply squeezing with your boots and knees, you're not too far back or too far forward. You're kind of balanced in the middle. That's a good place to start. Because we're not supposed to be hanging onto the handlebars. The whole idea is that you should be balanced on your pegs with your leg con- lower leg contacting the bike and not gripping the bars to hold on. They're there to steer and control rather than exactly. to hold on. Yeah. And one of the things we do once people get comfortable with riding standing up or at least more comfortable what the instructors will introduce is ride standing up with only one hand on the bar. And that way you're forced to grip with boots and knees rather than tightly hang on with the palm of your gloves. But obviously you can't hang on to the throttle really tightly with your knees open because any downhill or little bump you're going to end up accelerating or decelerating because you've only got one hand on the bar and you're hanging on too tight. 
So it forces us to have a loose grip by riding standing up with one hand. Now we do that in a training scenario in a big open pit that's gravel. When the trail gets tighter or harder, hang on with everything you've got. Don't ride one handed. <laughs> And when you're talking about um, in this position, and we've mentioned before elbows up, you've talked about elbows up. The advantage of the elbows up really helps with what you're saying about whiskey throttle. You, you tend to hold your grips more like you're holding a screwdriver rather than hanging off a bar like you're doing a chin-up. Exactly. Now, the next two that you mentioned, attack and braking, um, they're kind of similar in my mind when, when I think about them they as are. far as, you know, what you're doing with it. But these are the ones that are probably lesser known. I mean, seated and standing, most of us will know that. Most people will know that. They've seen the photographs of people riding along standing. I mean, everyone understands the sitting position, I think, to begin with without further explanation, at least the, the, the idea of it. So what is the attack position? What it is is standing up but with bent knees. So regular standing, you're using mostly skeletal support to hold your body up. Once we get into rougher terrain, we bend our knees because we want to be like a jockey on a horse, being one with the horse over the bumps or roughness. And that's easier to do with a bent knee. We're using more muscles now. So it's more fatiguing and tiring. So you're sort of crouched like you're like you're going to pounce on something then. That's right. That's why we call it the tiger position in the GS lingo, because you're crouched, ready to pounce. You're coiled. All the springs in your body muscles are coiled, ready to react. And that's a better way to go over rougher terrain. Now, we're not talking about leaning forward here. What we're talking about is a more of a, um, well, yeah, just what you're saying, an attack position or a crouch position or a tiger position, but you're still balanced. Absolutely. You're still more or less centered over the foot pegs with a bent elbow. Okay. So it's sort of like standing. It's kind of similar, I guess, but you're, you're crouched down and you're set up, I guess, for more movement. You've got more, more ability to move forward and back, up and down. Am I, am I right there? Exactly. And you're, you're actually enacting your own body suspension as knees and elbows. So if you're standing up kind of in a locked knee, it prevents you moving as one with the bike. You're two separate entities then. And you want to be with it. So when the suspension comes up, if you're crouched, the muscles in your leg will allow you to move with the bike rather than be stiff on but there's also visibility. You, you've got increased visibility. Like, you know, you, you mentioned riding dirt roads. You can ride dirt roads seated, but if they're riddled with potholes, um, we get a lot of them here where I am, where uh, the logging roads can be just riddled with potholes. And a lot of times it, you stand just for the visibility alone to be able to spot these before you go slamming into them because they can be pretty deep and, and rough. Yeah, Exactly. So attacked is, is crouched, that tiger thing, which I think is great. I love the way that, you know, the BMW has to come up with a special name for it, for the, yes. for the, the tiger position. But um, it's just that you, you have that, that uh, ability to absorb uh, movement and you're still balanced on the bike. What is braking and how is that different than attack? Well, imagine attack, but then you've got to put the brakes on hard. What we recommend is you shift your body mass backwards so your butt actually moves from above the rider seat position and it now encroaches on where the passenger would be. So you're crouched even 
lower and your body mass is at the back of the bike, squeezing again tightly the lower body. And that allows us to keep the weight off of the front wheel. Very similar position to descending steep hills. So you, you can go from, from one position to the other. Obviously, you, you're going, you change through these all the time as you ride. And particularly when you're standing, you could be standing in a comfortable position that you'll ride for many miles. And then you can change to the attack position and you may change to the braking position. But the attack and the braking positions are also used for other things like the, the attack position. Would you use that for climbing a hill and would you use braking position for going down a hill? Exactly. Going up a hill, we want our weight forward. Um, I've seen big adventure bikes, 600 pounds, loop over backwards, wheelie over backwards because the back wheel was spinning. Then it hooked up on more of a rocky section. And with a good soft adventure bike tire, it's already in a wheelie position if the front wheel is much higher than the rear. And if the person's not covering their clutch and their weight is back too far, it's very easy for that to loop out. It wheelies over backwards. So lean forward, stand up, crouched, but lean your body mass forward where your nose shifts to its over the handlebar, over the headlight. Looking up to see where the erosion ruts and the good traction is and and that, what I always say is let your friend go first, of course, and wait Definitely. till they get to the top before you go. And, and downhill? Yeah, downhill is the opposite. We don't want weight on the front tire. So we crouch again standing, but our seat is just marginally, uh, our butt is marginally above the passenger seat. And our that's the one exception where we would say it's okay to straighten out your arms to allow your body mass to go back. If you have a lot of weight on the front tire and you hit a very loose traction section, then you're more likely to crash. So you want to unweight the suspension off the front onto the back. And that kind of balances out the natural weight transfer but that the incline is putting onto the front suspension. What people will find as they ride more and more off-road and ride standing up, they'll become more one with the bike. You can watch someone, even on TV, riding a motorcycle at an expert level in the Dakar or something. They look like they're part of the bike. When the seat is moving up and down, they're exactly in unison with it. Well, we're about to enter what I would call the twilight zone, because this is a method that Clinton teaches at his school occasionally that he calls the Roy Rogers start and finish. Now, the reason I say it's a twilight zone, because when I think of this maneuver, to me, it's an advanced skill. It's something that you, you have to be very good with your balance and, and your comfort level with your bike, particularly a large adventure bike, before you want to start trying something like this. But we're going to run it by you. So have a listen, see what you think. If you want to see what the maneuver looks like, we've got a video we're going to post on the website of Clinton doing this maneuver, this Roy Rogers start and finish. And really, what it is, is it's just like if you remember getting on a bicycle when you're a kid, or you see a lot of people do this. They start off from a standing start, they put their left foot on the pedal, and then they push the bike away and they swing their leg up and over and get on the bike as they go. Same as getting off in the opposite way. So a trick I learned, I call it the Roy Rogers start. 
it's not a real difficult thing until, of course, you add in the you know, five, six, seven hundred pounds of motorcycle there. And then some things can go wrong, particularly if you've got bags in the back. But anyway, I'm going to let you have a listen to this, listen to Clint describe it. And then go to the website in our show notes and, and check out the video and even post a comment on there and tell us what you think of the video on our website and if it works for you or if you're even willing to try it out. So here we go. You have one other technique that you've mentioned to, to me before um, that you call the Roy Rogers start. Yeah, it's quite controversial, Jim. And what it is, is we always recommend if your bike is tall, and you've got luggage on or a passenger, it's hard for some of us who aren't six foot five to get on from the ground when it's parked. So if you've got good traction under your side stand, we recommend leave it on the side stand, put your left boot on the left peg, then swing up and over as if you're getting on a horse. You would put the left foot in the stirrup then swing on to the saddle and then put the right foot in the other stirrup. So I call it the Roy Rogers start because if you extrapolate that into it's really soft sand, mud, I can't get on my bike with the side stand down or the bike's going to tip over. You can put your side stand up, stand on the ground on the left side of your motorcycle, pull the clutch in, put it in first gear, then Cover the clutch with two fingers, put your left foot in the stirrup or on the peg, and as you slowly release the clutch, you simply stand up and you ride for a second or two with your left foot on the peg and your whole right leg is just dangling on the left side of the bike as you're slowly moving. Then once you've got your balance and control, you swing your right leg over the seat and sit down. And we call that the Roy Rogers start. The Roy Rogers stop is a little tougher because you only have the front brake because what you're going to do is you're decelerating, slip the clutch in, stand up, swing your right leg over, and just as you stop the last foot or so with the front brake, you put your right foot on the ground, left foot stays on the peg. So this is a maneuver we practice, but we do it in stages. The first stage is we want you comfortable with riding with only one foot on the peg. So once we've ridden around, we call it our enduro loop, first gear, standing up, you're quite comfortable, you can ride with one hand. And then we ask you to do what the instructor's doing. And he's going to take or she, your right foot, swing it over to the left side and just dangle it carefully so it's nowhere near a wheel. But you ride with only one foot on the peg. Your whole body is on the left side. And you will, your body will automatically change your positioning on the bike so that it's still balanced. Because if you don't change and all your body mass is on the left, the bike's going to tip over. So you kind of push it away from you a little bit with bar control and lean a little bit to the right. And it's very easy to do. And that's stage one of preparing to stopping like that. And so this, a lot of people looked at that video and saying, you're insane. That's 
That's impossible. People shouldn't do that. They'll kill themselves. But with a little practice, it's very, very easy. My bike seems to grow taller and heavier by the end of the day. And just to get on in a parking lot after gassing up, it seems it's more work to swing my leg over, especially if I've got saddlebags and stuff on. So I'll do the Roy Rogers start. I've done it many, many times. Do you run with a uh, top box? No, I hate them. Yeah, I think it's a really bad place to put weight. Um, The engineers have designed mass centralization, bringing, you know, a GS is a great representative of it because with the horizontally opposed cylinders, the weight is a lot more forward. So when I get on one of the school bikes, it's a different configuration of where the weight is than my 2006 1200. The new ones, um, they've stacked the transmission vertically, so it's put the weight even closer to the foot pegs. They're unbelievably easy to balance. Most people that ride different kinds of bikes will say that that 1250 GS is one of the best slow speed riding motorcycles around because of where the weight is. Really simple to balance. You know, I had somebody on the show one time who uh, was used to riding the F800 and they were going on a trip and they insisted, they, they all had 1200s on this trip supplied uh, as part of the program. And they insisted on having their 800 because they know the 800 and they were very comfortable with that, which I can totally relate to. But they said when they got there and they, and they didn't want to deal with the the weight of the, the 1200. But when they got there and they tried the 1200, because what the people just did is they said, just try it, just get on it, just try it he was blown away by just what you're saying, how, how balanced it was, how easy it was to ride. It was an easier bike to ride than a smaller bike. Yeah, and I think it's just the way the weight is, the engine design, ergonomics of the whole package. I have two 800s, I love them. But if I had to demonstrate, you know, deep mud or over big logs, really challenging enduro loop, uh, I might look like a hero because I'm taking the bigger bike. I'm cheating. It's way easier to ride. Well, you mentioned you didn't, we got on this because you said you didn't like top boxes. And I, I tend to agree. I don't like them myself either. I don't like a lot of stuff at the back there for, for many reasons. But with the bigger bike, uh, with those cylinders sticking out the side, that always gets me for any sort of type maneuvering. And I think that's the thing that turns me off of them is the width down low. Yeah. Well, it's still less than your handlebar width. So if you're on one of our 800s, you're not really restricted other than in really tight trails with stumps. Yeah, stumps and rocks and and if you're in a groove or anything like that. Right. Uh, I'm not usually riding a bike that big on really, really tough trails. That's because you have so many bikes. I only have one bike. (laughs) (laughs) That's the difference. You can open up the garage and choose one. I'm opening up the garage. Well, I'm not even opening a garage, but I'm, I'm choosing my one bike. Yeah, I'm very spoiled that way. Hey, Clinton, great information. Thank you very much once again. Always a pleasure to sit and talk with you about riding. Thanks so much, Jim. We'll talk to you again soon. All the best. I've been speaking 
talking with Clinton Smout from Smart Adventures in Ontario, Canada. Smart Adventures has had over 100,000 students in the past 20 years, and they do training and certification programs for motorcycles, ATVs, and snowmobiles, all from a uh, full-service facility within the Horseshoe Resort. Their website is smartadventures.ca. just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles at www.maxbmw.com. Also, Best Rest Products at www.cyclepump.com. Green Chili Adventure Gear at greenchiliadv.com. And Moto Breeze Chain Oilers at motobreeze.com. Hey, you do us a great favor. If anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime you see them anywhere, you mention that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. up another episode of adventure rider radio and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it special thanks to clinton our instructor for today and elizabeth martin our producer and of course you the listener thank you very much for being a part of this now if um if you're thinking about things for christmas it's that time of year when people think about giving well, we would love you to consider Adventure Rider Radio. You know, there's only a small percentage of listeners actually um, support the show, and some of them support monthly. It's just great, but we really need your support if you're not doing it already. So consider it. Drop by our website, click on the support button, and have a look at what we have to offer. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent back at you. Anything $50 or more gets you a mention on our Raw show. And we would love to get your support on our Patreon account, which will be a monthly support system, and any amount will do on there. Anyway, check it out. We would love it if you would consider uh, supporting the show. Anyway, time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. If not, maybe, I don't know, polish it, oil a chain. My name is Jim Martin. Talk to you next week. My name is Carolis Melauskas from Be Coldest Ride and you are listening to Adventure Ride Radio. (laughs) 